Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, a brief history of music in religion, in heaven. Yes, we do have some fascinating descriptions of music in heaven. Also, a little bit about its purposes, particularly in a religious context. Have you ever wondered where music came from? How it's different now from the way it was hundreds or even thousands of years ago, and how it's connected to religion, to heaven, and God. When you look at language, the Egyptians believed that it was a gift from God, that literally language is a gift from God. The implication is similar amongst the Judeo-Christian history that music was first in heaven. We read about that in Job. I'll give you the citation in a minute. And that those who first played music or gave music to those around them were doing so in imitation of what was previously experienced in heaven. The Christian church currently uses music to give praise to God, of course, thank him for things, to proclaim the gospel message, to remember important events, to support certain rituals. Examples would be hymns about Christmas, about Easter, the resurrection, Thanksgiving hymns sung around Thanksgiving time, patriotic hymns about this nation being established by God and about freedoms being given in all nations to those in these last days. Sacrament hymns, hymns about Jesus as the Savior, hymns about the restored gospel, and so forth. In various Christian faiths, there are hymns for all kinds of purposes. There are hymns in the Catholic faith for Mass, for weddings, for the Eucharist, and so forth. So let's take a brief look at the history of music in religion and in heaven. First of all, it's fascinating that there are conflicts about music. Some people think certain kinds of music are appropriate for church or religious purposes, Others think the same kind of music is not, and some that no music is right for religious purposes. For example, in the LDS faith, at one point in time, only stringed instruments were all right in sacrament meeting, but not even all stringed instruments. You could play a violin, a viola, or harp, but not guitars. 
So maybe classical or orchestral stringed instruments were okay. Today, things are a bit more relaxed, but the argument about what's really appropriate goes on. A few years ago, I heard what I thought was an exquisite, beautiful violin solo introduced by a violinist who (laughs) I thought had kind of a hilarious introduction. He says something along the following, I will now play a violin composition which was considered outrageous, radical, and cutting edge in the 17th century, which now in the 21st century is considered classical and spiritual and suitable for church. A number of people smiled at that. I thought it was great. I've heard the opinion by several people who go to church that it would be better if there's no music because the congregations don't sing with that much enthusiasm. On the other hand, I would disagree because music is undeniably a universal language that can be enjoyed and that uplifts and elevates a person, or at least it can, no matter what their age, their religion, their education, their language, their place of birth, or even when in history they were born. The ideas are different in different faiths. Last time I checked, the Society of Friends, commonly known as Quakers, did not allow choral, meaning sung, or instrumental music in their meetings. The Russian Orthodox Church, as well as a number of other conservative um, faiths, like some conservative synagogues, don't have orchestral music in their um, meetings, in their worship services. But the Bible does talk about music. In Job chapter 38, verse 7, we learn that music, sung music, is older than the earth. It talks there about, quote, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, close quote. We learn even earlier in the Bible a little later in time, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, that he, Jabal's brother's name was Jabal. There's a guy named Jabal, and he was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. So music was around from very early on, according to Genesis, on the earth. Music, as you may have noticed, can change someone's mood and emotional state. It should, therefore, be used responsibly and with great, great care. You've probably experienced a time in your life when you heard some piece of music which helped your convictions or your resolve to do good or brought you out of despair or made you happy. These kinds of things have served great purposes in history. When Russian occupied Finland, there was a song called Sibelius Finlandia that was banned because it stirred up too much patriotism and fighting spirit amongst the Finns. 
during the Korean War, the Communist Chinese and North Koreans experimented with producing states of confusion and distress by playing prisoners of war dissonant music. And the United States has done that more recently in Guantanamo Bay. Incarcerated jihadists were made to listen to loud, harsh, heavy metal rock to break their spirit and to make them more likely to reveal plans and secrets of ISIS and Al-Qaeda to help save lives. On the other hand, music can be used in a very positive way, and we have examples of this in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 18 through 23, we learn something that you may not have thought much about, about King Saul, that he was often kind of depressed. Saul's servants say in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 15, quote, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. The account, if you read it a little further, suggests that Saul often was kind of emotionally down or maybe even depressed. The servants in the next verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 16, say to the king, Seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. And apparently the positive hope for result happened when you read verse 23, that whenever Saul was depressed, quote, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. That, to me, is quite fascinating. On the other side of our break, we'll talk about why, from a scientific point of view, from a psychiatric point of view, music may well have this wonderful ability to enhance our mood. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Our topic, a brief history of music in religion and in the Old and New Testaments and in heaven. We'll get to that. Stay tuned. If you have a question or comment about this program or any other, or if you just simply have a question on a religious issue or topic, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com. I'll do my best to respond. Before we took our break, I mentioned that we might have here a psychiatric or scientific explanation of why music has such a profound effect on us. There's this great quote that says that one of the reasons why music may have such an impact on us is that there are a whole lot, a massive network of auditory nerves in the human ear. In the words of psychiatrist Edward Podolsky, he said, quote, the auditory nerves, the nerves of the ear, are more widely distributed and have more extensive connections than those of 
other nerves of the body. There is scarcely a function of the human body which may not be affected by musical tones, close quote. That is a fascinating observation. Psalms, one of the oldest books in the Bible, might better be named songs. It was literally a book of music, a little bit like hymn books today. If you have one of the earlier triple combinations or an older King James Bible and go to Psalms, you will see at the beginning of most of the Psalms a Jewish uh, character or letter, if, if you will. That was a statement to whoever was singing or playing a harp or producing the music exactly how it was to be done. It was sort of the ancient equivalent of the meter and key of a song, a little bit like 2-4 time in the key of G or something like that. We don't have those in our latest versions of the Old Testament. I kind of wish they were still there. But if you look at Psalms, in Psalm 69, you will see the mood of great despair. If you go to Psalm 150, you see, on the other hand, exhilaration and praise. And if you go through Psalms, you will find every other emotion that you can think of. In 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 33, we have a statement that there were singers— heads of the father's houses of the Levites who lodged in the chambers and were free from other duties, for they were employed in that work, meaning singing, day and night, close quote. That is quite fascinating. In the earliest days of Judaism, there were those whose special duty amongst the Levites were to sing. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5, verse 12, we learn that, quote, the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Hermon and Judithan and their sons and their brethren, stood at the east of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets, close quote. So here we have in the temple music being performed with the intent of becoming closer to God. And we have descriptions that it worked. This passage suggests that the music was designed to honor God And we read later in verse 13 that after the praises of God and the thanking of God uh, happened, it says this, quote, For he is good and his mercy endures forever, and that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, close quote. Now, if you read this carefully, you'll learn that the glory of of God, this cloud, filled the temple. The music actually created the atmosphere for God's Spirit to fill the temple or make the people ready for that to happen. Take a look also at verse 14 there of Second Chronicles chapter 5. Elisha also had this fascinating quote about music. We read in Second Kings chapter 3 verse 15, quote, 
But now Elisha said, bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, close quote. Apparently for Elisha, music set in the atmosphere so that God's Spirit could move him. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, music is given to God much in the same way that in the Old Testament, incense or sacrifice might have been. And in the New Testament here in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, it's kind of like uh, prayers and singing take the place of incense and animal sacrifice. We have this fascinating statement in verse 11, that there were many angels around the throne of God and that there were 10,000 times 10,000. Now, that's probably hyperbole. That's a huge number. And it says that, quote, and I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps and they sang as it were a new song before the throne of God, before the four living creatures and their elders, close quote. That's from Revelation chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. So to sum up the idea of music in the Bible, it seems to be there as a gift from God. It's powerful. It changes our moods. It elevates us. It makes us and draws us closer to God. There are also examples of the New Testament helping people who are in distress. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, Jesus and the disciples, after singing a hymn, went out to the Mount of Olives. We read in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These kinds of things apparently happened often in the New Testament. One of the more fascinating things in archaeology is that the house in Capernaum where Jesus came and healed Peter's mother-in-law has apparently been found. We know that from tradition and because a church was built over it. There are fish hooks in the cracks in the floors, which tend to indicate that a fisherman lived there. We also know it was used by the early Christians because Dozens of their hymns were scratched onto the stucco that covered the walls in that home. So the early Christians met there and sung hymns, the words of which were on those walls. Now, in the last minute or two here, I wanted to mention that I have heard firsthand, oh, less than a dozen, but still quite a few descriptions of music on the other side of the veil from people who've had near-death experiences. And most of them describe it as incredibly complex, but not loud. It was, quote, beautiful, fascinating, incredibly complex, yet simple to comprehend and exquisite to listen to. One of the people I talked to said that they played it over and over in their mind. I even know a few who have gone to extraordinary lengths to try to recreate the kind of music that they heard on the other side 
which I've listened to many times. It might be described as electronic, uh, symphonic, quiet but complex spiritual music. It's actually quite fascinating. And there you have it, a short uh, overview of music and its history in the Old and New Testaments, and also a brief description of it in heaven. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.